a beautiful song. It's gospel right there. Amen. A beautiful exchange between Christ's righteousness to us and our sin to him. Christ's death for our life eternal. Praise Jesus for that. Thank you, Kaylee. My only question is, whatever happened to that little girl that moved off to Missouri a few years ago? <laughs> she came back a, a young woman. And thanks, Uncle Michael. Great job. If you'll turn in your Bibles to John 17. John 17 is where our text is tonight. I know Brother John started a series in, Brother, or in the book of John, but don't worry, it'll be a long time from now before he gets to John 17, right? And he'll do a much better job than me. And you'll probably forget everything I say between now and then. So, John 17. All right, let me go ahead and start off by giving you a pop quiz. If you look at the first slide, or perhaps the top of your, your handout, if you have one from this morning, you go ahead and fill in these blanks. We're blank the world, but not blank the world. Huh? Okay. We're in the world, but not of the world, right? Very familiar. Uh, it's a pithy statement that uh, Christians use among many. It describes a great truth and the relationship that we have with the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. But if you search your Bibles, you won't find this exact phrase in them. I know this because recently when I was searching exactly, you know, where is this in the Bible? I could not find this phrase. And although it's a, it's a good paraphrase, there, there's nothing wrong with it. it. It speaks the truth. We are in this world, certainly. Look around, we're here. And yet we are not of this world, it speaks the truth. That's not quite the way the Bible says it. Um, specifically, it's a paraphrase of uh, some verses in John 17 that we'll look at tonight, and we're going to focus on verses 16 through 18. And again, it is a helpful statement, gives us a perspective, but I think the emphasis is just slightly backwards, okay? So you have to, you have to go with me on this. Um, the emphasis is sometimes too much on not of this world, right? We, we say we're, we're not of this world, and we forget that we're actually supposed to be here. We are supposed to be in this world. We're not necessarily waiting for rescue, but we're on mission. We're on a mission, and we're here until it's complete, and then we're transferred back to our, our far-off country. Nevermore, I think, has there been a time in which the church was quick to say we are not of this world, certainly. Recent decisions by the Supreme Court of the United States, obviously not the Supreme Court of the universe, have made it abundantly clear that this world is heading in a different direction than than Christians can go in. The natural tendency, perhaps, is is to bunker down and and hide and and just shut out the world. Close your eyes and say, we're not of this world. We're not of this world, we're in it, and we're just trying to make it a little bit longer. Just hold on. Close your eyes and come into the shelter and just ride the storm out waiting for rescue. And I I don't think that's what Jesus is emphasizing here tonight. That's what we'll see. So if you're in John 17, let's go ahead and look. And uh, actually, we'll start a few verses early. We'll start in verse 13. This is right in the middle of Jesus' high priestly prayer. Start in verse 13, but now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that 
they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. And then here in verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they may themselves also be sanctified in truth. All right, so after reading the word of God here, seeing exactly what it says, tonight I'll submit to you that perhaps a better way of paraphrasing these verses is slightly different. Not that there's a a problem with the first way, but just to, to flip the emphasis around. Uh, the, the first way we're used to hearing it over and over again could be interpreted in this melancholy way of resigning ourselves to the idea of being here in this world and we're here. The other way is to embrace the fact. Embrace the fact that we're here. In fact, embrace the idea that we are sent here. We're sent here because we're supposed to be here, right here, right now in this place, in this time, in this culture. I mean, it it harkens back to Esther. For such a time as this, are we here for such a time as this? Well, the answer is yes, because we're here. Instead of saying we're in the world but not of the world, perhaps we should phrase it like this. We're not of this world, but we're sent into the world. Okay? I believe this is a truer paraphrase of what Jesus is telling his disciples. He builds into it. Okay, He he first establishes that, yes, we're not of this world, but he builds up into the fact that we are sent into this world. It implies we have a mission. We have a purpose for being here. Praise the Lord that we're not of this world. Okay, But we're here. First off, let's look at the conscription of the church. Conscription. Now, uh, who knows what this term means? Conscription. Nobody? Uh, if you've been around in the days of the draft, or maybe you're familiar with the draft, you might be more inclined to know what this word means. It's defined as the ordering of citizens to serve in the armed forces. Okay? Again, think of the draft. Citizens of this country, in order to enjoy the liberties and the benefits of citizenship, were at one point compelled to serve in the military if they were physically able to. The church is no different. Christians are compelled to serve the Lord. As as believers, as a family of God, we are compelled to serve. We have no choice. Even to the point that the Bible uses the analogy of Christians as soldiers participating in spiritual warfare, complete with armor. As citizens of heaven... We are called to go into the world and to serve. We're to go into the world and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them and training them. And of course, as we do, and we do it right, there will be spiritual warfare. So we cannot forget that we're here for a purpose. Our purpose is first and foremost to glorify God. And that means that while we're here, and we're here according to his will, for his purposes, we will serve him, and we will spread the gospel and reach people with that gospel of Christ, baptizing them. As we do, 
Sometimes that means uh, we will be caring for our neighbor in, neighbors in physical ways, meeting some of their tangible, tangible needs here on this earth, whether it's food and clothing or, or shelter. Sometimes it's through just fellowship with believers during the good times and the bad. There's various ways we can serve our neighbors. And by the way, all the people around us are our neighbors. We're to love them. But the best way we can love our neighbors is sharing the truth. Sharing the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. So we must share that truth. And in this day and age, yes, it will be harder. Much harder. It will set us apart from the world. That's what verse 17 says here. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify and holy both come from the root meaning of being set apart. Right? We're being set apart from the world as we are set apart and sanctified by the truth. Now remember, we're already not a part of this world. But this becomes more and more evident as we are set apart and sanctified. We're on the side of God's truth and become more like Christ. We will be set apart even more. However, being set apart and sanctified is not a physical thing. We're not physically separated from the world. We're not disengaged with what's going on around us. And this is a mistake that that some people make. Yes, we're spiritually set apart and and we're sanctified on the side of God and his truth, but we're still in the world and we're sent into the world. That's the emphasis that I'm trying to make tonight, is that we're sent here and we're armed with God's truth. So we're also here to engage culture. Now, conscription of the church means that we've been called into active service. Okay, we're, we're not the reserves, we are on the front lines. Okay, it seems lately that that front line has come closer and closer to us without us even doing anything. It's coming at us. So we're on the front lines whether we want to admit it or not. But we're to be engaging culture with the gospel of Christ. Through our words and our actions, our, our prayers, our very presence. We're not to be silent, we're not to... Uh, retreat into our homes and, and ride out the storm. I don't know exactly what this will look like for Christians or for us here at this church, but no matter what happens, our simple mission has not changed. Albert Moeller is the president of Southern Seminary, and he wrote a blog post right after the Supreme Court's decision, and he started out by saying, everything has changed, but nothing has changed. Right? I, I think that sums up where we are. It gives us perspective. Yes, America has fundamentally turned down a different path, but for Christians, nothing has changed, really. We're supposed to be doing the same thing that we were last month, last year, last century. We're not of this world. We're sent into the world to engage culture and to penetrate that darkness with the light of Jesus Christ. And... All you have to do is look down through church history, and what you'll find is that this is the normal state of the church. So how does the Bible help us to understand our relationship with the world? What illustrations or analogies does God give us to inform our understanding of of being sent here and and needing to be here and establishing a presence here in this world? First, or second, we'll look at the description, description of the church. Now, the church has been given many descriptors in the Bible, but I, I want to share with you four that specifically fill our, uh, fit our context tonight. First, indeed, we are sojourners. We're aliens. 
First Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. So yes, it is important just to remember that we're passing through. This world is not our home. It's temporary. Thank God. We're not of this world. But we're not just nomads without a country. We're actually citizens of heaven. Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've heard of natural-born citizens. Well, we are spiritual-born citizens of heaven. Americans know the importance of citizenship. You travel around the world. You take a passport. You want to be able to get back into your country. Our passport is the blood of Jesus Christ into heaven. And our names are documented on the Lamb's Book of Life. And we we have a a home and we have a citizenship in heaven. So we we must remember who we represent. Now, as citizens, we're not just tourists. Sometimes we, as citizens of America, can go to another country. We travel to France or to England, and we can travel and be tourists and, and sightsee and vacation, take pictures. But that's not what Christians are, are supposed to be about. We're not just traveling through. We are, in fact, ambassadors, ambassadors of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Many of you are familiar with this analogy, but it's so poignant. Ambassadors are representatives of the country or the authority that sent them. They are able to speak on behalf of their king and country. They develop relationships with the people there on behalf of their king. The ambassador never forgets why he's there and who he represents. They're under the authority of the one who sent them. They may speak with authority on their behalf, but never their own opinions and desires. They shouldn't. They establish a residence. They interact with the culture. They they may raise a family there in that land. They develop relationships. But the most important difference is between ambassador and average citizen is that they're there for a mission. They're there for a purpose. Ambassadors of Christ must remember their mission. Verse 20, what we just read, tells us that we're God's representatives and that we are to be making an appeal on behalf of Christ for people to be reconciled with God. You see, these descriptors sort of build on themselves, right? I mean, first, yes, we're passing through as, as sojourners and aliens. But it's more than that. We're citizens of heaven with all the rights and privileges there. But we're not just citizens. We're ambassadors on a mission. And finally, there's actually a whole bunch of us, right? So we can actually be considered a colony, a colony of heaven that's sent here to represent God's kingdom. Uh, Philippi was a Roman colony, and when when Paul would talk to uh, those people about citizenship, they would understand this context of being a Roman colony and what that meant. A colony, much like what we saw in colonial America, was an outpost. It was an extension, a small reproduction of Rome or England or whatever country that sent them. They were established in a foreign land to take over and grow. It's ruled by the foreign land, and it enjoys the privileges and the the rights of that foreign citizenship. It's as if Philippi was a miniature Rome, far out in the barbarian land of Macedonia. Well, the church is a colony of heaven, certainly. Now, right? Colony of heaven that has been sent and established 
by God, and we're citizens of that far-off country. It's a little slice of heaven, much like a, an embassy, uh, an American embassy in another land. That's their actual slice of American sovereign soil. And that's what we as a church need to remember, that we are a little slice of heaven. And, and as we grow that, that colony and we add to that colony, we can, in fact, try and grow that heaven on earth. But we wait. We have an expectation that this earth as it exists now is not our home and that we wait for that transformation. But it's not a passive waiting. It's, it's a, an active thing. So in the meantime, what are we supposed to do as this colony of believers? Let's look at the prescription for the church. We looked at four, quickly, four descriptors. But I want to take those four descriptors and look at what we can glean from these and how we can apply them as prescriptions or instructions, directions for the church. First of all, don't get too comfortable. We are but travelers. We're aliens in this land, and we must not slow down long enough to get too comfortable. I feel like sometimes uh, we're reminded in tangible ways that this world is not our home. Anytime we deal with disease or death or depression or corruption, depravity, evil, persecution. We have these reminders. But other times I feel like American Christians have, for the most part, been lulled into a false sense of security because of all the liberty and the abundance and protections that we have here in this country. Perhaps... Recent events have awoken a slumbering giant. I like to think so, but I feel like we're only beginning to just crack open our eyes and, and take the, the crust off our eyes from our slumber. In the wake of this gay rights victory, many Christians have been shocked that our government would go so far, specifically that, that five individuals would have so much power and their ruling would, would be such an affront to Christian values, but... I submit to you that it's nothing new. This is nothing new. It's only the latest step and perhaps the straw on the proverbial camel's back, but the same little small branch of government was responsible for an abortion decision that's resounded for decades. Except that in Roe v. Wade, we have millions of innocent lives that have been killed because of that decision. This is nothing new. This world, no, is not our home. It's not our home. Don't get too comfortable. We're strangers. Don't let us, the church, wake up from our slumber and think, what happened? Seems like that's what's happened. Perhaps as our religious freedom is eroded in this country, it will be the impetus for the church to remember its mission. But we also must remember our allegiance we follow God, not man. In our great and, and beautiful and prosperous nation, it's, it's easy to blur our allegiances, right? Remember that we have a, quote, dual citizenship, at least from a human standpoint, but our heavenly citizenship trumps any earthly association. Even though Paul was a Roman citizen, his truest and most important allegiance was, to Rome, uh, was not to Rome, but it was to the kingdom of God. Now, this hasn't been too difficult in most of our lives. Uh, 
Christianity has gone with America as, as well as baseball and mom's apple pie. And for many, many years, to be a good old boy, patriotic Christian meant that you were in church on Sunday, and you were there with a smile, and you made sure you, you shook the preacher's hand. And it didn't really matter what you did for the rest of the week, but you were there. Sadly, our country has slid now into its present state that basically says you can do what you want in your private life. You can, you can believe what you want in your home and with your family, but don't bring that into the public sector. Okay, we don't want to hear it. And if you do, you'll be mar- marginalized. You'll be labeled intolerant, or maybe you'll be punished by it. We follow God and not man. Our allegiance is in heaven. So an ambassador is a great illustration here because they follow the law of the land as much as they they can where they live unless it contradicts their king or their king's interests. You've heard of diplomatic immunity, right? Well, we have uh, heavenly immunity. The church must follow the law of the land. That's the way God established it. We, We should work within the system to change it for better. We as Christians should be model citizens, no doubt, following Romans 13. But, but be prepared to take a stand. Be prepared to stand your ground when forced to choose your allegiance. Some American citizens are being forced to decide things right now that we would have thought would never have come to pass. I don't know if you've been following the, the story of this Christian-owned flower shop in Oregon. It's called Sweet Cakes by Melissa. And they refused to provide flowers for a gay marriage. And they were fined $135,000 because of it. Now, they never said that they would refuse service to a homosexual. They, they, they came out and very clearly said that they would not discriminate against an individual needing service. But them providing flowers and participating and sort of condoning that... Uh, Ceremony was a line that they wouldn't cross. They remember their allegiance to God, and they chose not to violate their religious beliefs. It's a clear attack on religious liberty and freedom of association, certainly. And they'll appeal it, but it's going to be a big mess, and it may drag out for, for quite a while. In the last couple of weeks, we've seen county clerks and other similar officials resigning from their jobs rather than be forced to issue marriage licenses that violate the law of God. So yes, don't get too comfortable, church. Remember where your allegiance lies. It's not your job. Your your allegiance doesn't uh, lie in your American citizenship because we're not of this world, and soon you may be tested. Next, as ambassadors of Christ, we must represent our king well. Ambassadors may be the only person that the local people in that country see. How very important is it for them to represent well? They have a special privilege to speak with the authority of the king or those who sent them. For the most part, they're the mouthpieces of their country and they're the government in the foreign land that they themselves. They must be very careful in what they say so that their words are not misconstrued. And so 
the message of the king is not misunderstood. This is exactly the same for Christians. We must represent our king well. We must not misconstrue the message of Jesus or the desire of our king. If you go back to 1 Peter 2, we we read this uh, a few moments ago, we'll see that our behavior is directly relevant to being strangers and foreigners. Listen again. Verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust." which wage war against your soul. Then it says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So we must keep our behavior excellent in front of the unbelievers, the Gentiles. So that when they slander you, and it it seems like it's implied that they will, your good deeds and behavior will give them nothing for ammunition. And ultimately, it will glorify God. Ray Stedman wrote, The world lives by what it thinks is truth, by values and standards which are worthless, but which the world esteems highly. And Jesus said, what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So, you see, we have to represent our king. It means delivering his message, his message of truth. Remember, we are to be sanctified by the word. So we will stand out. We will be slandered. But we must make sure that it is the message of the king that is rejected and not our own bad behavior. How you interact with an unbeliever will make a world of difference. They're looking for something to attack, something to cause them to reject the message. And may it never be us. The gospel is a stumbling block all in itself. If the world spews hate, and we're going to see it more and more, if the world spews hate, we are to reflect nothing but love. Our God is love. He loved the the world so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on that cross so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That's how much he loves. We must share that same love and and have our, our speech and our conduct just permeated with grace, but truth as well. We must love them enough to share the truth. So how you interact and react to people who are blinded by the enemy. How how are you going to do this? You know, there may be a whole new generation who will be influenced to perhaps experiment uh, or even accept homosexual lifestyle after this, quote, secular and mainstream endorsement of this behavior. And how we as believers talk to them, how we interact with them on behalf of our king will have a direct impact on their acceptance of the truth. Now, there's going to be a whole group of people that, after getting exactly what they want, okay, they've been begging for it, now they have it, and after they get exactly what they want and they come to the end of their hedonism and they find the bankruptcy of their lifestyle, much like the prodigal son, there may be droves of people coming and looking for answers. They're looking for a way out, and we need to be ready with arms wide open to receive these cultural 
refugees with the love of Christ. And our relationship between now and then will determine whether they turn to the church or not. They may not know it now, but Christ is the answer, and he can redeem them from whatever situation that they turn from. So in the meantime, we must sanctify ourselves with the truth. That means not our opinions, not our opinions, but the truth of God. One, so we can stay true to the word, but also so that when they refute that word, it's not us that they're refuting, it's it's a rejection of Christ himself. And that's ultimately going to be uh, their responsibility when they stand before the Lord at the end of days. Share that message with love. Represent your king well. Finally, in doing this, we aim to grow the colony. Uh, Some many years ago, the the British policy was to make the world England, right? And if that's the case, then the biblical mandate should be to make the earth or make the world heaven. That's our mandate. We can change the world only one soul at a time. Now, don't be confused by uh, the same example of the Jews in Jesus' day. The, the Jews then, that, that for the most part rejected Christ, they wanted him to establish a political kingdom, right? They're very excited about him coming and establishing a, a political kingdom immediately. And they mostly rejected him as the Messiah because he refused to place any kind of importance on that. We're to build the kingdom of God as a colony here on earth, but it is not a political or a national kingdom. It's not. It really doesn't have much to do with America as a nation. It's not about America as a nation turning back to God. In fact, the church may thrive even more, much more, with America and Christians being under persecution than we have been in our slumber before. We should remember that this colony of heaven transcends geography and man-made borders and governments. Jesus told the Jews of his day that his kingdom was not of this earth. Same is true today. We're a heaven-sent colony so that we can expand and grow and add more citizens to the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom. And there's only one way of doing that, and that's to penetrate the darkness with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the light. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will call blind men and women unto that salvation. Look, there'll be other cultural issues to shock us, There'll, be, uh, there'll continue to be people around us that will disappoint us. Our government will probably slip off more and more away from its original foundation and founding. But to all of these circumstances, the same message is to be given. Repent of your sins, confess Jesus Christ as Lord, and you'll be forgiven. That's, that's how we grow this heaven-sent colony. Now, there's a caution here not to get too distracted by the latest headlines. Yes, these current threats to our religious liberty are very important. Don't misunderstand me. They're very important. And the church needs to wake up. Wake up and engage culture. Absolutely. Use the freedoms that we have while we still have them. But make no mistake, we do that best by simply sharing the gospel of Jesus with one person at a time. Now, you may have a venue in which you can share on a mass scale. But nevertheless, it still comes down to individual Christians, one at a time, coming before the Lord in repentance and trusting him as their Savior. 
That is the answer to the problems we face. Let me ask you this. Last week, seven days ago, I stood right here in this pulpit, and I challenged the church, okay? Um, I challenged you to, to share Jesus Christ with at least one person this week. Just one. Hopefully more. But how did you fare? Did you, did you step up to that challenge? And the guys that went to D.C., they weren't here last week, and they don't count anyway because they, they have all kinds of story, stories to share with us. But how did you fare? It's been a week. I will say, just to hold accountable, that for me, I, I was able to share Christ with two people. One I hadn't seen in a long time, but I talked with before. And another was a fresh encounter that God brought in my path. And so, praise God. I wish there was more. But how about you? Whole week's gone by. The follow-up question to that is, how many people or times have you talked about the Supreme Court ruling? Or, or some other hot-button topic this week, or the last two weeks. How many times have you talked about what's going on in our nation with someone and the problems and how upset we are about it versus how many times you've talked to someone about the gospel of Christ? Do you talk to more people about these things than you do the gospel? Listen, I understand the fervor. I understand the great need and the passion and the excitement that surrounds these current issues. I get it. It's just that my heart wishes that we could be more passionate and excited and, and understand the great need to reach the people with the gospel more than all these other things. Regardless of how these other issues turn out, God's kingdom will advance. This heaven-sent colony will grow but only by those who hear and respond to the good news of Christ. We're, we're talking eternal matters, life and death. So again, I ask you this week, will you be that messenger? Will you be standing here next week, another seven days pass, and will have you shared the gospel of Jesus with someone whose eternal destiny is at stake? Will you do so? We're the church. Who else is going to do it? Will you be the one who brings the message of Christ to someone who desperately needs it? We're not of the world, absolutely, amen. We're not of the world, but we are sent into the world. Just like Jesus was sent into the world to seek and to save that which was lost, he was the first one. We follow him, he was the first fruits of the resurrection, we follow him. Just as Jesus did, we too had that same mission. Let's not sit back and, and long for the good old days. Let's move forward into the world as it changes. I read another blog post. Uh, Vicki Weaver pointed out to me. It's a post by Beth Moore. And she focused on this idea. She talked about not going back to church but going forward. Basically, in many ways, we don't want to go back to the way things were. Right, Because going back means that we'll end up at the starting place of how we got here. We don't want to go back. We want to go forward. We don't want to go back to that Americanized, sanitized Christianity. We might land the church back where it's at with apathy and complacency, misguided loyalties and objectives, and forgetting why we're here. Let's not go back. Let's not go back to sleep. We're sent into the world. So let's go out there and make a difference. The difference in someone's life that will affect their eternity. That's what's at stake.
Will you do it? Again, the challenge is renewed for the second week. Will you reach one person, one person for Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are challenged by your, your great commission to go. And as we're going, to share this, this good news with those around us and to baptize those believers and to train them to go out and, and reproduce themselves. Lord, you've made it very clear that there's only two paths, heaven or hell. And the only path to heaven, the only path to the presence of the Father is through Jesus Christ. Hearing the gospel, responding to the gospel, there is no other way. Help us to understand that that's why we're here as a church. We're here to grow your kingdom by serving you, giving you glory, sharing that message. Be it evangelistic with the good news. Help us to remember our mission. We're not from this world. Praise God that we have a home in heaven waiting for us and all the benefits of citizenship that that means, liberties. But we are sent here. And until you call us home, we should stay on mission. I just pray that for myself as an individual that you'll equip me in this category and help me to lead, help our church be a leader in this same category in our community, in our nation. And Lord, I just pray that your kingdom will grow leaps and bounds across the world so that there'll be just an untold multitude of people around your throne. Help us to be a part of that, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.